Hello, Jordan. What's going on, Michael? Not much, man. Just uh, just trying to battle through this mood that my tweaked neck has me in, but... Man, I'm sorry. All will be better in two to three days. If it makes you feel better, my armpits are stinging really badly right now. Your armpits are stinging. That's a new one to me. Yeah, I deliberately waited to tell you this until we started recording because <laughs> I wanted to get your natural reaction to it. <laughs> It, it uh, I assume it's jujitsu related, but the initial sound of it is like some kind of infection or something. I think it's, I just started a new deodorant and I think I'm having an allergic reaction to it. <laughs> <laughs> is there any visual uh, changes? You want me to show you my armpits so you can see? Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, no one else is going to see this. One second. I'll, I'll describe. Just Are to... they red? Is it red? Nah, they, nah, they look good. They look healthy. Okay. Well, that's I good. think you're all right. It Help could just be this. a, it could be more protective antiperspirant. Did you switch to like a gel or something? Yeah, I switched from like a softer, creamier one to more of a gel one. You went with the the sport endurance kind of like high protection. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think that's is a, that more difficult on the skin? I think you can definitely expect more sting with that compared to uh, compared to normal deodorant. Although I'm by no means an expert in this. In the but I remember, world. I remember switching like around puberty. I remember switching from uh, whatever. I don't even remember. I think I was just using my dad's deodorant, like secretly, and then uh, <laughs> not the brand, but like I would just go do it. And then when I actually got deodorant, it was Speed Stick Sport, and and I remember sensation. Yeah. So you're good. Do, speaking of puberty, going completely off topic of what we planned for, um, <laughs> did you ever get that like ball in your nipple as a kid? Oh yeah, oh yeah, probably. Dude, 13. how painful was that? It was. It was very painful. Still, don't know what that was. I remember. I thought I had like cancer in my in my like chest in my. You know, I thought I had breast cancer because there was like this hard ball in my nipple, and I remember being like, it was the worst because that was the age that like nipple twisters were really a big thing. Mm-hmm. And like we call them I'm, titty twisters. Yeah, I was trying to keep it, <laughs> but yeah, they were called t- titty twisters in middle school. <laughs> and man, is that like, not PC? Is nipple twister the appropriate way of saying titty twister? I think a lot of people don't like the word titty, but you know we're talking about middle school things, so it's okay. It was 1999 <laughs> for me. <laughs> I just remember I didn't even realize I had it until someone just ripped an. Uh, titty twister on me and i i like i wanted to cry it was so painful and then i was like wait what is this and like there's just this hard ball i still don't know what it is but i remember i went to the doctor and they were just like yeah this is normal this happens to a lot of guys growing up but like why in the hell do you just get like this marble in your nipple i don't know i just remember i had it and and then shape and Nolt, my friend at the time had it too so i figured i was good figured it was a normal thing <laughs> did you tell your parents i don't think i told my parents Really? You didn't tell your parents you had like this hard ball in your nip? I think one, when Chapin had it too, I was like, must be normal. I think that was my thought Man, process. I'm a real catastrophizer. Like, <laughs> as Jesse I, would say, <laughs> this is just something that I've had in me forever. Cause I remember telling my mom, I was like, I've got cancer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, I mean, better safe than sorry, right? Get checked out and realize that you're okay. Yeah. Yeah. I remember, man, we're really going off topic of what I was expecting. I remember in high school one time I told my mom, I was like, I think I have AIDS. I just, I told him, I think I have it. Cause I like, I had unprotected sex one time and I like, we had learned about it in school and I was like, mom, I'm so sorry. I think I've got it. She was like, you're an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> I like sat her down on the couch. She was like, mom, we need to have a talk. And she was like, well, what's, what's wrong? I was like, I think I have AIDS. And she, she was like, why in the hell do you think that? I was like, because I had unprotected sex. She was like, that's not how it works. <laughs> what was what was the follow-up from there? Did she then, was there a pregnancy scare? Uh, No, no. I mean, she was like, well, like now we're going to like go get like a, a, a check, like an STD check and all this stuff just because like this is what you do after you do something stupid like that. Um, but like- you're fine. And then, and that was that. And yeah. Interesting. 
It was. It was <laughs> I, I just would have been way more afraid of the pregnancy than uh, than the STD. But um, in health class, they did just in middle school and high school. They just drove that into us. Oh yeah, and I remember same thing with drugs too. I remember watching a video in middle school. I wish I could watch this video now just to see. I remember vividly they had this video of kids of what happens if you smoke weed. And literally this kid smoked weed and then he was like, I can fly. And he jumped out the window and died. And like, I remember being like, oh my God, I'm never smoking weed. This is, this is a terrible idea. They really scared us into not, into not trying anything. A lot of scare tactics. The, I mean, I will say the one that worked really well was the cigarette one where they like brought in a cigarette looking lung versus like a non-smoking cigarette. I was like, wow, okay, well, definitely don't want that to happen. But all the other stuff, I was like, looking back, I'm like, man, you guys really just, all right, we're just going fear. <laughs> we're instilling fear in all of these young children starting in I'm fifth grade. <laughs> I'm sure it's like, you know, the intent was in a decent place, at least for a lot of it. Oh, absolutely. I saw, yeah. I saw a funny meme recently related to this about like the the amount of uh, people that, that as a kid you expected were going to be offering you free drugs. But it's like, now that I'm an adult, it's like, <laughs> no one's ever offering me free drugs. <laughs> people everywhere. You're going to turn a corner, free drugs already available. <laughs> There is a fair amount, though, in New York City of people just like as you walk by whispering like weed, ecstasy, cocaine, need it? Like as like especially like later at night, they'll just like whisper it like as you as you walk by. It also happened when I was in uh, where was I? Louisiana, I think it was. And um, what's the city? New Orleans. Yeah, New Orleans. Yeah, New Orleans. Like just walking around, just like people just like whispering, you need this, need that, need that. But it's not for free. Obviously, you got to pay for it. Yeah, yeah, that's obviously quite different. <laughs> Didn't that happen to us recently? We were walking in New York. I could have swore that was you and I. We were walking in New York, and a guy started like saying something to us. We're like, "No, no, no, we're good." But like, it happens pretty frequently in terms of people like offering drugs. At least like, "Hey, I've got it if you want to pay for it." Yeah, yeah. Well, this was a good start to this podcast. <laughs> Definitely not the anticipated route. Went from deodorant to nipple balls. <laughs> <laughs> that's what i love about the beginning it's a warm-up yeah it's just it's it's getting the juices flowing it's just letting us kind of perceive our way through and i knew you weren't in a good mood so i really had to try and make the the warm-up fun i so really I could... appreciate that <laughs> i was grinding out the last rep on incline bench and uh yeah just purely my fault improper warm-up rush through it and then Basically tried to progress from last week and felt it immediately. Workout stopped right there. Sucks. Yeah. Sucks. How much longer do you think until your neck is ready to go? I'm going to try and train legs today just because I'm pissed, just to spite my neck. <laughs> <laughs> like just I, do everything upright, like really wide stance, goblet squats to stay upright. Like I don't really I don't like even know. reverse I lunges, kind of, chest tall. I, I almost want to. I almost want to go the opposite and like test it because the for the last two days all I've done was ice it, like lay around pretty much, taking Advil every four hours, and it's not that much better. And so now I kind of want to go the opposite route of, all right, if my life was on the line, would it really hurt that bad? I don't know. Let's go. Let's go. You train. should do, you should like, you know, that, that leather strap that you can tie around your head and just do like neck work with, you should just go all in on that. <laughs> I might go do that. <laughs> just strap a quarter, like a 25 pound plate onto the end of the chains and just up and down, left and right. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see if they have that down here. I'm not sure, but I, I am going to train, so I'll keep you updated. Sick. What else is happening? Um, what else is going on with me? Nothing. Nothing. I mean, I'm, should we jump into the the regular stuff or you still want to do the, the warm-up? Let's jump in. We got a great episode here. Well, I'll, we'll start by saying that we have a $200 off sale right now for the mentorship, right? So by the time you hear this, we'll put a link in the show notes. If you want to join the online fitness business mentorship, there's a $200 off sale for about a week. 
I don't know that we don't know the exact date it's going to end, but about one week from today, it's going to go back up to normal price. We do this about once a year. Last year, we only did it once the entire year. We, in our minds, like we always say like, yeah, we'll do this again later in the year, but you know, it takes a lot of effort to do a launch. So maybe not. So if you want to join the mentorship, $200 off for this week, link is in the show notes. And in this episode, we really are going to give you a, a whole conceptual framework for how to get more online coaching clients. We're going to do like a whole big pyramid, uh, starting with the, the bottom, the foundation of the pyramid, all the way to the very top, explaining the steps you need to take in order to, to build a successful online coaching business that uh, will continuously bring in more online coaching clients. Awesome. And this will probably be a two-parter. So we're going in depth. I love it. I love it. Do you want to start off? Let's start it off. And and you're so right, by the way. I completely forgot that both in 2019 and 2020, we at the beginning of the year, we were like, Yeah, we'll do we'll do two to three launches throughout the year, like continually. Yep. And yep. years we only did one. <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's a lot of work to do a launch. Like it's a lot that goes into it. It's uh and actually, I mean, everyone in the mentorship knows because they literally just in the January challenge was setting up a whole launch and we had them do like the entire one sheet like for their for their product or for their coaching services like it's a lot it's a lot of work for a launch and it, it's uh i think it's in an ideal world we would probably do a sale on the mentorship once every once every like trimester like every, every four months or so three months whatever it is like mm -hmm. do a nice 200 hundred dollar off sale but i mean the the early bird gets the worm, right? So the people who join right now for this week are, are going to get $200 off and then and you're in for as long as you want. So that's that. Well said. Let's dive in. At the very bottom of the pyramid, it's not TikTok. It's not, it's not uh, long form sales copy. It's not running uh, Facebook ads. At the very bottom of what, the What pyramid. else is it not? Let's keep like building this up. The bottom, the foundation of your how to get more online coaching clients pyramid. It's not TikTok, not Instagram, not sales copy, not advertisements, not email list, not having a six pack. It's not fear mongering people into thinking they can't make progress without your super specific ketogenic system. That's exactly right. Definitely not that. <laughs> <laughs> What's the bottom? What is the foundation? The bottom, the foundation, the most important thing that is going to help you get more online coaching clients and help those coaching clients and continue to get more coaching clients in the future and to build a long-term sustainable business is knowledge. Which we know is a, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, thanks guys, knew, knew that. But candidly, you know, I think a lot of you know that there's still a lot of room to grow in terms of knowledge. You know, there, there's always room to, literally, you know, it's funny. I was texting uh, Joe Therapy yesterday because I had some questions about stretching. It's like, you know, I, I have a pretty decent background in mobility and stability and, and working with that, but like, he's more of an expert on that than I am. And I wanted to ask him some, some thoughts and processes on stretching and what's actually going on, like neurologically, neuromuscularly. And, uh, knowledge is the foundation and it sounds obvious and it's like, yeah, we know, but a lot of people, they know, they say they know that, but then they end up signing for like a, a guru's course, a mastermind course on like how to optimize your sales copy and how to like make six figures. It's like, yeah, but you suck as a coach. Like, you're not good. And, and it's not like, it's like, it's not, has nothing to say anything about you as a person. It's like, as a coach, you suck. So how do you get better? You first have to learn, you have to study. And it doesn't mean studying you said yesterday, it's like, don't just like look at your, your buddy's Instagram posts and like, don't just like, uh, e even my, don't just look at my Instagram posts, like go into my long form articles, go in, go into, uh, buy books. Got no one buys books anymore. Buy like books, buy strength and conditioning books, buy nutrition books, buy, go in Alan Aragon's research review, like study those things. Like these are where you're going to get the real, real high level knowledge. Yeah, absolutely. And if if you hate reading, if you don't have a a single spare three minutes in your day to be reading because it's so jam packed, audiobooks are a great alternative. You can retain a lot from audiobooks, but simply relying on the content that shows up in your feed 
via the Explorer page, via your peers, via your friends, whatever it is, isn't enough to build and continue to build the knowledge base that is going to make you a great coach that is going to help you not only serve your clients, but get more and more clients in the future. And and those uh, resources that you named are all awesome. Um, you know, in, in addition to our websites, the websites that we learned so much from are still incredibly valuable. Martin Burkins, leangains.com, Lyle McDonald's Body Recomposition, Lyle McDonald's Books, um, Alan Aragon's Research Review. Uh, you know, there's a lot of good high quality information out there that isn't necessarily the the flashiest or the sexiest or the easiest to consume um, or, or the most fun to consume, right? But it is what is going to pay massive benefits and dividends in your future for both you as a coach and for your clients. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I'd say for nutrition, Lyle McDonald's bodyrecomposition.com is probably the best free resource on nutrition. I'd say Alan Aragon's research review is the best overall uh, source for information on nutrition. It's $10 a month. I can't recommend it enough. The reason I think I like Alan's so, so much, Alan texted me, by the way, the other day. He's like, man, I'm sorry. Like I've been super late with uh, Alan. Alan is like the best. Alan is a legitimate researcher and nutritionist, all this stuff. Um, he he's going to make a course for the mentorship on how to read fitness research, like how to actually go in to PubMed, how to go to Google Scholar, how to open up a study and critique it from a, a non-biased perspective, like go in and re- like read the study, read the process of the study, read the methods of the study, make sure you know any biases that they might have had, make sure you say, okay, well, does this make sense based on X, Y, and Z? He's doing a whole course on that. He texted us just, he texted me being like, hey man, I'm really sorry, I've just been swamped because he's writing like 15 million books, but it's going to happen <laughs> this year. Um, which is another reason to get in on the mentorship because it's a really going to be an amazing course. Yeah, that's exciting. But uh, I think one of the reasons Alan's, research review is probably my top recommendation is because it's not just presenting you with facts. He's presenting you with how to critique both sides. It's like he's teaching you how to be a critical thinker. It's not just like, okay, well, here's why this is good. It's not, here's why this is bad. It's like, hey, here's all of the research. Let's read the research, see how you can analyze the research on your own so you can make your own well-informed decisions. I think Alan's is the best from a nutrition perspective overall. Again, his is only 10 bucks a month. We make zero money from saying this at all. It's just, he's literally the best with that. Um, for strength training, Eric Cressy has like, I think some of the best information on that. More recently, he's he, he's a baseball guy, been a baseball guy for years, but his more recent content is very baseball development. But if you look back in like 2009, 2010, 2011, 2012, 13, 14, 15, his content there, super informative, really great strength training stuff. For, Mike Robertson. For, for free, going deep on his website because so much of it, it still stands the test of time is applicable. You'll benefit massively from digging back in those archives. Yeah, exactly. Eric Cressy, Mike Robertson, Joel Jamieson. Joel Jamieson has a really interesting perspective, more of a mixed martial arts, like athletic perspective in, in his content. Um, I would say, uh, oh, you know what's a great book? I don't know if I've mentioned this before. Is called Triphasic Training. Really wonderful book. Triphasic Training for, again, more athletic performance. Um, starting Strength for Beginner Coaching. Uh, practical Programming. Great program. The Texas Method. Great program. If you just want to see a really, uh, probably one I think the most underrated programs now i'd say it used to be like everybody got this program but now i don't hear about it as much anymore as jim wendler's 531 um jim wendler's 531 is is i think one of the best programs anyone can get it's not he doesn't really explain the science behind it it's just in its simplicity it's it's so perfect it's so simple it's so perfect it's like progressive overload 101 very simple how to get stronger and how to use good programming in the gym. I would say Jim Wendler's 531 is another really good option as well. Yeah. All all great resources. Something that we pride ourselves on too is, and we talk a lot about not being guru-y and that being a great coach is more important than being a great businessman or woman. And, uh, and in that vein, we have courses, specific long courses in the mentorship for both programming and for nutrition coaching. Uh, which are also, you know, we've we've put a lot of effort into the free content on the podcast and the fact that you're listening right now means you've you've benefited, I would imagine, but you know, 
that's a snack in comparison to the the whole full course that exists in the mentorship. Yeah, the the mentorship courses are very extensive. The and we we appreciate the the feedback we've gotten on the podcast immensely. A lot of people have said, you know, we listen to it over and over and over again. They've been super helpful. And and some of the most popular podcasts have been the ones where we do something like this where we have the 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 pyramid and it's similar to what we do in the courses where we sort of have like hey, the pr- order of events. Here's the process that you follow. I think a, a lot of what we do in the podcast is give you uh, concepts to understand. We go deeper than that in the mentorship. It's not just the concept. It's the practical application. Like here's what you do. Here's the set and rep schemes. Here's the rest periods. Here's the way that like you program for this type of person. Here's like the, the psychology and understanding of how to communicate with your clients, not just the, the concept of it, but here's like, here's literal phrases you can use. Here are ways to speak to them in this situation. Like recently in one of the Q and A's, we do two Q and A's a month. I think it was, someone asked a wonderful question. What do you do if a client is, um, is uh, what do you do if a client is not giving as much effort as they could, right? And, and we broke it down into two different types of clients. Like, well, there, it could be this type of client or it could be this type of client. And so I think what, man, I love doing the podcast. I think it's great. But the difference in the mentorship is it's not just the concepts, it's the practical application. It's like, here's what you do. Here's how you identify which type of client it is. And here's the the steps that you take to really help them achieve their absolute best potential results. Yeah. Yep. That was fun answering that question too. Um, I'm trying to think of what else falls under this knowledge umbrella. and And the last one that's coming to mind for me is and and this is a combination of it's it's going to help your knowledge and it's also going to add to other layers of the pyramid but internship mm. like you you can and do need to learn from books and from um you know similar resources but getting in person coaching experience is also going to feed a different part of your knowledge is is going to help you not only by watching others and and like having in-person mentors, watching other great coaches and interacting with them and learning from them, but also what you're going to learn from actually coaching clients is going to help you build that knowledge base. And like you mentioned before, help you learn how to apply what you've read to an actual client. Yeah. And obviously right now getting an in-person internship might be might be impossible literally because of everything going on in the world right now. Uh, but that doesn't mean there aren't things you you can do or you can't do to also improve, whether it's reaching out to, um, reaching out to a coach who has a facility and number one, asking if there's anything you can do remotely or if you, you can come in and help, but also in your community, your neighbors, your friends, family, whatever, like get something going in your garage, literally you could do something like on a Tuesday and a Thursday get people to go into your garage. I used to do this in Boston. I had a group of three to five women that I would train every Tuesday and Thursday at 9am. And it started off, it was just for free for the first couple of weeks. I was like, I just like, I'll coach you for free for a couple of weeks. I know we're going to talk about this later in the, the pyramid, but every Tuesday, Thursday is like for the first couple of weeks, let's just do it free. If you like it and you enjoy it, then we'll, uh, then we'll, I'll charge you like 20 bucks per person for that hour. So, I mean, if you get three to five people in there for 20 bucks each, like that's a significant amount of money for that hour. Number one, number two is one of the things I like about that small group training is you see a bunch of different types of clients in that one hour, instead of only being with one client, you, you get one client who might really struggle with their mobility. You get another client who might really struggle with their stability. You get another client who might be very introverted and, and struggles to interact with the group. So it's your job to sort of be a good coach and figure out how do I get them to interact? You get another client who might be like, they love to talk and they hate taking rest. They, they hate, they hate sticking to the rest periods. So you got to try and figure out ways to make sure that client like doesn't rest for 12 minutes and start talking to the other people and distracting them. <laughs> like these are all things that I guarantee you in the mastermind guru courses, they don't talk about. They don't talk about actually coaching. It's just sales, 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 sales. And there's a place for that. But if you want to be a good coach, like let's talk about coaching. Let's talk about the person who has a knee injury. Well, how do you how do you modify it? Let's talk about the client who's going to literally try and distract you from coaching them because they don't want to actually work out. How do you get them to get a good training session in? Let's talk about the client who's like really introverted and nervous and they're not willing to tell you that, but you have to be able to spot it in their body language so that you can maybe take them to a corner privately so you can do that work with them without them worrying about other people looking at them. Let's talk about the things about coaching that the only way you learn this is from coaching rather than just saying you coach people and then starting your mastermind. 
clip it. <laughs> that would make a good Instagram clip. <laughs> and we're recording this. Um, what you said reminded me of something funny. Who, who am I? Hey, Jordan, how's your business doing? Do I have to say someone's name? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he won't mind. Wait, who is it? I don't know. Who who would, when they wanted to maybe take longer rest periods or maybe oh, just- Oh, Gary, Gary. <laughs> <laughs> How's business, Jordan? <laughs> no, it was funny because that was one of the things that when I first started coaching him, uh, he told me that he liked about you. He was like, you know, Mike didn't let me, Mike didn't, he, he would say like, Mike didn't, if I asked Mike about his business- like he wouldn't let that affect the workout. Whereas most, like most a lot of the time that was, yeah, I tried. So there were times where like, you know, Gary would be like, Hey man, you know, what's going on with business? I'd be like, we'll talk about it after the workout. <laughs> yeah, or we'll yeah. Like just do this set first. And and these are things that I don't think people realize or coaches realize, especially early in their career. Um, and it's funny because a lot of people will ask like, Oh man, you must've learned so much from Gary, which I did, but that came from a product of being in his ecosystem and watching at a close distance as opposed to like, Hey, let's spend this whole workout talking about how you can help my business. Right. It's like, if you got a, if you got a, a client who's a lawyer, you got a client who's a, a finance, whatever it is, like you're not spending the whole session learning how they can help you. It's the sessions for them. And then who knows, maybe just as a byproduct of knowing them, you can, you can learn something from them. But the, the whole purpose of the workout is to make sure that your client gets the workout, not to extract from them. Right. Right. And, and that's just an example of noticing when your client is trying to angle for extra rest for, you know, maybe they're <laughs> exactly. not the greatest. And, and that's something that without, uh, without the knowledge of it and the experience, it you're going to get sucked into their frame, for lack of a better term. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Sweet. So the base of the pyramid, knowledge. Knowledge. And before I think we go up to the second level, I think we should talk about what spans the entire pyramid, mm. which because this is going to go with every level, including the the first level, which is consistency consistency spans the entire pyramid so consistency like consistency and patience yeah exactly so and like it's so funny everyone listening probably the first thing the things they really preach to their clients are patience and consistency that's it it's like you're not going to get a six pack in a week you're not going to build your business in a week relax just be consistent if your clients eating perfectly for a week and then falling off does nothing Right? It's like you'd rather than be around 80% consistent for years than 100% consistent for a week or a month. Same thing with this. Like if you feel like it's overwhelming to post on Instagram every single day, then you don't need to post on Instagram every single day. Post on Instagram a few times a week and make it really good for three, four, five years straight. Like that's how you're going to build a business. And we'll talk more about social media and website either later on in this podcast or in part two. But the, if, as long as you understand knowledge is the foundation and patience and consistency spans the entire pyramid, you're going to do really well. Yeah. Yep. Those, those factors alone. And you'll, you'll, as we move on and as we move up the pyramid, you'll see how patience and consistency relates to each and every rung within the pyramid. So, so the second layer is actually pretty similar to the first and that is experience. Yeah. Yeah. And and that is experience in the form of coaching. That is experience in the form of an internship, if you can get one. That is experience in the form of actual experience making content and actual experience coaching clients online, whether paid or for free. Yeah. It's experience in literally every realm. And I remember when I first started writing articles in 2011, 2012, I remember I made a Facebook post basically saying like, man, if, if someone told me when I was in high school that in order to be a, a really well-known established coach, I'd have to be a great writer. I would have told them to screw off. Like, cause when I was in high school, I knew I wanted to be a coach. I was already coaching, but I, I, I was like, okay, all I have to do is be a great coach. I didn't realize and it was funny because at that time I was reading books, I was reading articles, I was reading Eric Cressy's work, I was on T Nation, I was reading Martin Burke, and I was reading all these people, but I wasn't conceptualizing, oh, they're writing. Like this takes a long time to write. I hadn't, I literally just 
I wasn't aware of that, even though I was actually reading it, it was right in front of my face. And then once I started to write, I was like, oh man, like I need to develop my writing skills. Same thing with making content on YouTube. Oh, I need to develop my, my video skills. And then I need to develop my, uh, the more, as you build a business, like you are literally, you're not changing careers. You're just, you have to become more knowledgeable and that takes ex- time and experience and patience and consistency and knowledge that you develop over time in order to make it happen. So I think this is one of the most overlooked things and a lot of things that coaches get frustrated with that you could be the best coach in the world, but you could have all the knowledge in the world. But if, if if you don't devote enough time in order to get enough experience in other aspects that are gonna allow you to build your online business, then it doesn't matter. Like you could have an amazing in-person business, but if you want an online business, that's different. And this is where sort of the differentiation becomes from from a in-person business to an online business. If you want an amazing in-person business, yes, like your your attitude matters and and whether or not people like you matters. But if you're a great coach in person, you're going to get enough referrals and build a great in-person business that will probably last you forever just based on being in person in your local area. But if you want to go online, it means you have to reach people who are outside your local area. It means you're going to have to reach a broader audience who might not have the opportunity to work with you which means you're going to have to build up a lot of experience in other areas outside of just simply coaching. Definitely with coaching as well, but outside of that as well. Yeah. And even the best in-person coaches, when they transition online or start to transition online, they often feel overwhelmed and and frustrated and sometimes confused and struggle early on, even with a small number of online coaching clients because they haven't done it. Mm-hmm. And and because the the base, what is most important about coaching, translates from good in person to online. But the the systems, the new method of communication, the having technique videos rather than being with a client in person, the style of communication, all of that is different online. And from like we've we've said it so many times, a, a coach, a new online coach, in their first several months or year, or even two years online can struggle with a smaller workload, a smaller number of clients that after two, three, four, five, six, seven years of online coaching is a breeze. They can they can go from handling five co- five clients to 40 clients and 40 can seem easier because of the experience, because day after day after day for years of communicating with clients, designing programs, working, actually building that online business, through that experience, you're going to become a better online coach. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. It's funny. <laughs> One of the things I see a lot of the the best coaches who are in person coaches super knowledgeable, right? They're very they know everything about everything. They've read super training. They know, they know they have all this amazing knowledge, but they struggle to build stuff online. They struggle with social media. They struggle with they struggle with with uh, creating content. They struggle with getting more engagement. Oftentimes, I see these people. What they do most is they spend their time arguing with people on social media. <laughs> I see this all the time and it happens to me. I, I get people in my DMs like saying like, well, this is wrong and this is wrong. Well, you said that wrong. Technically that's incorrect. And and I look at their page and like, it's, they're not doing well. And, and then eventually through a conversation, I'll be like, man, like, how's everything going? They're like, man, not, just, it's not, nothing's working for me. I'm like, well, bro, you just spent like 30 minutes trying like, arguing semantics with me over deadlifting, which by the way, you're still fucking wrong. Number one. Number two is you just spent 30 minutes arguing with me when like you could have spent that time helping people or making great content. And even then a lot of those coaches, their content is built around making fun of other coaches. It's like their content is literally built around saying, well, this coach is stupid or that idea is stupid or this is stupid. It's like knowledge is amazing. And like we said, it's the foundation of this, but it's not enough. And it's not, it's not just enough that you have the knowledge. You have to focus on spreading that knowledge. Spreading that knowledge doesn't equate to hating on other people who don't believe the same stuff you do. Spread, spreading that knowledge is teaching people what you've learned in an in a easier to understand way. And I think this is, comes with the experience of not just being a good coach. I think there's a difference between being a good coach and being a good teacher. And, and when you're creating content, or even when you're coaching people, maybe it's online as well, you're a teacher, right? It's a huge part of it. And I think there's a distinction to be made between those two. I know many, many coaches who are incredibly smart, great, great coaches have a ton of knowledge, but they suck at teaching. 
And so this is something that you really have to do. It, it comes with time. Like if you go look at my old content, there I, I sucked at teaching. I really, I sucked at making content. I was really bad at it. But it, with experience, you'll get better and better and better at learning. Okay, how can I really teach these people? Not just, not just talk at them, but speak with them and teach them how to make better decisions for themselves. And that's really where you have to to focus on your content and, and your your overall approach. Yep. That that experience also translates into each specific platform, right? Like if we just take website, for example, to start, think about the first article or even look back. Mm. And, and if you're listening and have a website, compare your very first article you ever published on your website compared to your most recent article that you've published. Like the difference between those two is primarily driven by experience yeah. by seeing what works by seeing what resonates well with people by seeing what people learn the most from um, by getting better at writing like you mentioned but also like getting better at writing articles getting better at picking good titles and good headers be, being better at you know knowing what kind of images to include being better at all of these things that you can't learn in a book that you can't learn from Stephen King's on writing that you can only learn through actually writing and becoming better. Um, experience in all realms of content creation, coaching, online coaching, like it matters so much for getting more clients and helping those clients over time. Same thing actually with, uh, it's a great example because same thing goes for looking at the first program you ever wrote for somebody versus the programs you're writing now. Yep. Like, yep. man, and, and this isn't just like a, in the first year thing, like this is something that I do now. Like every six months I'm looking back at my old programs being like, woof, what the hell was I thinking? Yeah. And it's important. Like the, the cool part about that is six months ago, those programs were still great. Like people were still getting great results with them, but it's number one, always sticking to that bottom foundation of knowledge, trying to get better. So that then in, in every six months, I can look back at the previous programs I wrote and say, oh, that, that could have been better. Like I could have programmed that better. That could have done been been um, more efficient, right? And and I think a lot of people, this this comes with experience as well. The best program isn't isn't the best because it's the best on paper. The best program is is the best because it makes sense for that individual at that point in time. And like, maybe it has to do with efficiency, right? Maybe it has to do with, um, I mean, sometimes I'll, I'll do things in programs that ma make no sense on paper from like a physiological perspective, but I know it's going to be good for that person mentally and emotionally, right? Like some things I'll do, th I'll, I'll do things in a program because, um, it might not make sense in terms of the progressive overload aspect of it, but that maybe that's just the physiological progressive overload. What about like the mental progressive overload, the emotional progressive overload, like pushing someone like just because like it's time for them to be pushed in that way. Uh, these are things that you only get from experience. And like you said, you can't learn it from a book. Like you can't learn that from a book. This only comes from working with more and more and more people, knowing different types of people that you work with, knowing like, okay, this type of person. Like I remember the first person who I ever heard talk about clients in terms of introvert extrovert was Louis Simmons. Hmm. And he was the first, and he's still to this day, he's the only other coach I've ever heard talk about training introverts versus extroverts differently. And I don't think it's as black and white as that. It is much more individual, but you know, when you know, when you can identify if someone's in an I or an E, like there are many different approaches that you will that will dictate your coaching methodology, uh, or at least give you insight into what might be more appropriate for this person. Uh, but whether it's in person coaching or online coaching, again, these are only things that you learn from experience. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What were what would you say is, and maybe you just gave the answer, but what would you say is the biggest difference, or we can even call it the biggest mistake from your programming if we look at it eight to 10 years ago compared to today? I think the, like, let's say like near, near the beginning of my career, I know exactly what it was. Cause I remember getting reamed out for it at the gym that I was interning at. Um, I, Kevin, the coach there was like, write a program, like write a program. And he like made up a random person and he was like, write a program. And I like wrote it down on a piece of paper. It took me like two hours, which is another aspect of the experience thing, right? When you first start writing programs, it'll take you hours Forever. eventually. Like you should be able to get to write a program in seven to 12 minutes, depending on the person. But anyway, I remember I wrote it on a piece of paper in this uh, red journal. It was like a journal with a red cover on top. And, uh, 
And he was like, what, what is this? He's like, you have like 27 different exercises here. I was like, yeah, like I want to hit like all this stuff. He's like, you don't need this many exercises. He's like, what are you doing? Like you see me coach clients. You see me do the classes. There are like six exercises in a workout. What are you doing? And that's, I think that was my biggest mistake when I was younger was like thinking I needed to have like every possible type of exercise, like in more exercises, the better. Mm -hmm. Uh, So like early in my career, I think that was probably the the biggest mistake that I had. What about you? Very similar, but, and, and maybe maybe too many exercises, but um, even more importantly, just way too much volume. Like <laughs> in my mind, I was like, all right, this person's paying me, like I'm going to give them progress. <laughs> and and like 90 minute workouts minimum, usually probably closer to two hours. And I don't even know, maybe 30 sets per workout, <laughs> like <laughs> four to six days a week, just pouring on the volume. I rem- yeah. And and it was a byproduct of programs that I had done myself which were you know weren't effective for who I was, where I was and the things I was or was not putting in my body, but I remember doing supersets of like you know there was a there was a German volume training, there was a oh. I remember one brutal f- it wasn't even a finisher, it was just like you know, there were maybe eight exercises on a leg day and the B1, B2 pairing was eight sets each of like eight by 10 leg press and like eight by 12 per leg walking lunge with no rest after oh. the leg press. And then- Oh my <laughs> like, God. Yeah. So programming uh, way How too much volume. How many a workout do you program now? Um, as little as, it, it depends on number of days per week. Um I would say the minimum number of sets per workout that I'm programming is nine. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think if there are instances with any current clients where they're doing less than nine sets in a workout. I don't think they are. And I have an instance with that, but yeah, keep going. Um, and uh, And as many as on average – Definitely not more than I'm trying to think because there there are some like a leg plus ab day. If someone's only training ab, like if they're not hitting any direct core work, any other workouts, they might have they might have six, seven, eight, nine sets of core. So so maybe in the twenty four to twenty seven set range, but that's not high. on average. Yeah, that's that's like the upper end. Yeah, that's like a very well-trained person like who can handle it and, and also wants that type of volume. Correct. And, and time in the gym, yeah. Correct. And they'll ask and for it. They'll be like, can I do more? Can I do more? Like, they'll ask for it or they just need it. Like, you know, have have been training for a couple years in a surplus, have been bulking most of this time, like adding more and more volume over time and without the the on average increase in volume over time just would plateau with muscle gain. Yeah, yeah. I, I have... I would say for me is yeah it's usually at least nine. The one instance right now is you know I'm coaching Kim Schlag, mm-hmm. uh, who's her and Susan Niebergall are are both um, moderators in the mentorship. Uh, just incredible, incredible coaches and people, just and friends and family. But um, Kim, basically, we don't know for sure if it was COVID, but we basically know it was COVID, and she was out for like legit four months. Mm-hmm. She got hit bad. Like she was really, really, really sick. So her first week back, um, I think it was a total of five or six sets. It was just one set per exercise and there were five or six exercises per day. And so, I mean, for now, hopefully this is helpful to some, maybe you're working with some people who are getting over COVID and they're super tired and they're out of breath. It's like get one set per exercise is sometimes plenty especially if someone's just coming back from something like that. So, mm-hmm. and, and very quickly, she went from one set to two sets and then two sets to three sets per exercise. But uh, there's instances where, you know, you'll drop volume to to what they can handle. And sometimes that literally might be five or six sets the whole workout and then it's it. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great example, anomaly. And sometimes even zero, right? Like there are people who it doesn't make sense to be training for for various reasons who are literally just walking, yeah, and then yeah. and then you start introducing training, and when you do introduce training, you know, for clients who absolutely hate soreness, let's not take let's not take them from zero to sixty in two seconds. Let's let's start with a a, a much lower volume and work our way up. 
Yeah. Sometimes what I've done is with clients who are, are like morbidly obese uh, and like really can't go to the gym, not, not just don't want to, they can't go to the gym yet. It's just like a, it's not happening. Um, sometimes I'll just put like a total number of times they should walk up, up and down their stairs that day. Right. And so like even, I can't believe you've never spoken about this. Sometimes I'll have them. All right. So for the whole day, I want you to go up and down your stairs 10 times going down the stairs. I want you to really support yourself on, on the, on the handle because going down is when they get sore right? The eccentric part of the, of the movement. I don't want them to be too sore. So really support yourself. So you have a support on the way down on the way up, try to support yourself as little as, as little, only as much as you need. That way going up, it's all concentric. There's no, there's no eccentric on the way down. So they they don't get sore from that. And if they really support themselves on the way down, they can mitigate how much soreness they're going to have. And I don't care how long it takes them. Like you do it like one, one an hour over 10 hours, like just get up and down the stairs 10 times, boom, then you can increase it to 12 times then 15 times. Then before you know it, they've lost 30 pounds. And like they, maybe like you start doing goblet squats or whatever it is, just at home, just simple things like that. Again, experience. This is just all experience. Um, some, sometimes instead of having a, a legit planned workout, it might be like, Hey, this, it's, that's sort of like the grease, the groove method, right? Pavel Tsatsulin, mm-hmm. like just do it all throughout the day. Just find something. Don't go to don't go to failure. Just make sure you're doing it throughout the day. You could do that for chin ups. You could do that for push ups. You could do that for people who can't go to the gym or aren't ready to go to the gym but just need activity and they're stuck at home right now. They can't really go outside. Walk up and down the stairs. Support yourself on the way down. Mitigate the eccentric component so you're not too sore. Smart. These are only things you get from experience. You don't get this from a book. Yeah, it's absolutely right. Should we move to our third component of the pyramid? Were you going to say something or no? I was going to say something, but <laughs> it slightly contradicts what you just said, but it's kind of a funny story. In, uh, in Actually, no, it supports what you just said because I couldn't wrap my head around it from the book. When I was 20 years old, you know, I was on my way to be a business major, but we had, uh, we had a certain amount of electives we could take. And I took a, it was, I think it was like a phi ed class, but really it was, it was like a, like in the in ed? physical education. Oh, oh, got it, got it. Yeah. But but you know, in high school, that's like playing dodgeball. In college, this was like in the intro to Kinesi exercise science. Like it was most of those kids that were in the class, and it was a pretty tough course um, that wasn't like phi ed at all. It was you know, it was all book stuff. And I remember a test question: which of the following eccentrically loads or is like an eccentrically loaded movement? And it was like. Uh, there, there was like lifting. So one of the answers was like pressing a weight or doing a push up or something that was clearly concentric. And then one of the answers was something random. And one of the answers was walking downstairs. And the, the last answer was like an isometric hold at the top of a chin up. And for some reason, despite actually caring about the class and like putting in an effort, I could not wrap my head around how any of those were eccentric. Like walking down the stairs just didn't make sense to me as eccentric for whatever reason, probably because I needed the experience, not from learning it from a book. But I was like, I rationalized and I was like, okay, so if you're, if you're in an isometric chin up, eventually you have to, <laughs> you have to lower yourself. Like you can't just be there forever. <laughs> eventually you got to let yourself down. And I, and I put that answer and it was wrong. And, uh, cause it, it was walking down the stairs, but I, I literally, this is the only time in my five-year college history that I remember going to office hours. And I was like, please. You asked the teacher. Went straight to, I, I can picture his face. I don't remember his name, older gentleman. And I was like, tell me how you <laughs> get out of that <laughs> position. I was Just like. raging. You were on tilt. You're like, how? <laughs> well, it was more like, it was more like these other three are non-answers. Like it can't be any of these three. So it has to be this because you have to get down from that bar and you got to lower yourself down. And and he was like, no, he's like going downstairs is eccentric. I was like, nope, lowering yourself from the bar is eccentric. <laughs> but after that, I was like, okay. I, from then sense. on, I knew. Yeah. Yeah. Or like someone could have the box underneath them on the chin up bar and just doing the isometric holds. <laughs> yeah, and then just standing there. None of that crossed my radar. I was like, well, they gotta get they gotta get down somehow. It's fair. I mean, it's fair. Like they're getting down somehow. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, it's only you only get this from experience. I wish I could hang out with 20-year-old Mike for a day. I think you would enjoy that. 
<laughs> just storming into office hours. All right, here, explain to me how the hell this person gets down. Yeah. <laughs> Go. Use a different example next year, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> I literally was thinking that. I was like, why couldn't you use like lowering the bar on a bench press? Like use something that's applicable, please. <laughs> Looking back, you're like, all right, that was that was a fair example. I was like, that was very <laughs> applicable. Not for like, uh, you know, someone who's obsessed with doing men's fitness workouts or men's health workouts, but. Yeah. 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 Oh, that's funny. Um, All right. We got knowledge at the base. We have experience as our next level up. We have patience and consistency running up and down the side of the pyramid. This third one ties in pretty close with knowledge and experience. So we'll we'll uh, talk about this and, and leave off here because then there's a little bit of a transition into different types of things. But the third rung of the pyramid is actually being a good coach. Yeah. And, and again, like I, I think the, the base of this pyramid, like the knowledge, experience and being a good coach – it's like not exciting things it's like, yeah, we know that. But, and, and I think we'll do part two, like there'll be the more exciting stuff. The more exciting stuff is like what the, what the gurus and masterminds is what they talk about. It's like the, the more like, oh, sales copy, advertisements, Facebook ads, da, 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 da. But it, it's like, it's like the people in the fitness industry who are talking about like fasted cardio and like training and doing hit and like, like, I don't know, like, um, doing like uh, advanced forms of, of macronutrient, um, different macronutrient splits before you get your client drinking water and eating vegetables. Mm-hmm. It's like, it, it's if you, if you look at it that way, this is really where most people need to focus. And when you get this stuff down, I mean, the cool part about this is like, if you get your, your knowledge down, you get your experience down and you get your good coach down, you, you don't need to worry about advertisements. You don't need to worry, like everything else will come as a result of it, just from the reputation that you build, just from the, the results that you get with your clients, that that will be more than enough. The reason so many coaches fail is, is because they try and go for the, for the flashy stuff. They try and go for the, the things that like look cool. It's like the same, the clients are like, they, they'd rather, uh, stand on two BOSU balls trying to do one arm kettlebell swings with a shake weight in their left hand. It's like, that's that's flashy stuff like or the person who does like they like stand they put the kettlebell on the ground and they stand on the handle of the kettlebell and do like a pistol squat it's like that's that's a cool circus move like respect it's hard but like hard doesn't mean it's effective mm-hmm. and, and so same thing with with this stuff it's like if you get your your knowledge down you get your experience down you get a good being a good coach down you're going to build a very successful business it's, it's literally just a matter of patience and consistency which is why that spans the entire portion of this pyramid that's literally all it is mm-hmm. so uh, being the, a good coach i mean what's what's up the example that i always loved and i just thought of it because i just recently went bowling when i was back in minnesota with my family, um, Mark Ripto talking about how soreness doesn't equal progress. Mm. Like if you haven't bowled in three years and you go grab a 15 pound ball and you bowl five games in a row, you're, you're going to feel it the next day. Like your forearm, your wrist, you're going to feel it. Does that mean that you're like making optimal muscle building progress? No, it doesn't. You bowled. (laughs) 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 It means you bowled and you don't bowl very often. And now we're going to practically apply the knowledge of, of eccentric and concentric. So much of bowling is an eccentric movement, right? It's like you're basically doing the eccentric single leg RDL going right into it, right? Mm-hmm. And then and then not to mention, and people don't think about this, you're not only doing an eccentric movement and not only is it loaded, but like you're sort of resisting it too, right? You're resisting the the motion all the way down, which puts more strain, more, more time under tension onto your muscles. So yeah, I could imagine you being super sore from that as well. But again, probably don't see that many like jacked and ripped bowlers just because they're bowling all day. <laughs> Such a great example. Mark Ripito is really good with like his, his analogies and, and how he talks. He's, he's great in that sense. Yeah. yeah. Terrible nutrition advice. Terrible nutrition <laughs> advice. Go mad gallon of milk to, a day to his to his defense and to play devil's advocate i think a lot of the people he was giving that advice to were um 
young were, football players. Yeah, exactly. Young male football players who also were really struggled to get enough calories and really struggled to gain weight. And he probably got fed up with hearing, no matter what I do, I can't gain weight. Yeah. And yeah that's exactly right, right. Drink a gallon of milk a day and and do barbell lifts. Guarantee that's exactly where his he was like, all right, drink a gallon of milk a day. Shut up. Like guarantee that's <laughs> yeah, where yeah. he was thinking about that. I, I think it would have been better if he was like, instead of a gallon of milk, he was like a loaf of bread a day. It's like much more realistic. I think he, I think a lot of people ended up being lactose intolerant because of that. <laughs> <laughs> but, but in my mind, I'm like loaf of bread a day, like, eh, no like protein. Think, like, yeah. Yeah. I'm like, think of how much protein, how much leucine's in a gallon of milk. Like, yeah. Yeah. Maybe a half gallon of milk. There's just know. no way. Yeah. Or, yeah. Or like maybe a quart of chocolate milk. Yeah. Right. Quart of chocolate milk a day would probably be better advice. Get some good protein synthesis in there. You get the taste, you get the calories in there. It's like, but sit having a gallon of milk sit in your stomach, it's hard to get a good workout in. <laughs> Do you know where I came across his work? I would imagine T Nation. The 2plus2.com poker forums. Shut up. Dead serious. There was a health and fitness subsection on the, the two plus two poker forums and they were all obsessed with starting strength and rip That's toe. so funny. Uh-huh. That's crazy. How old were you? It was around the same time that I was reading uh, Lyle and Martin, maybe slightly after. Maybe, maybe it was 2008. Um, That's so funny. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, one other thing I wanted to say on the subject of being a good coach because- some people might think, okay, you have experience, you have knowledge, you're a good coach. Um, how does that lead to actually getting more clients? Referrals. Yep. Yep. Referrals are the 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 best, the most consistent, the um, most underrated, most underrated, least amount of of like micro effort, right? Like maybe it takes five to eight years to become a great coach, but so, so it's not that it doesn't take effort, but those, those dividends pay forever Yeah, because referrals and SEO are two massive leverage points. They're, they're things that you, that past effort is benefiting you now. Yeah. Right. Like other forms of social media where, you know, consistent posting is required to stay top to continue of mind. Generate, exactly. Like referrals, if you're giving someone a great service, they're, People are going to see them. People are going to ask them what they're doing. People are going to ask them how their experience was with this coach that they're working with. And as a result of that, you might end up working with their friend, their kid, their wife, their anyone like who knows them. It's and to just, that to that effect in terms of past effort, you might not work with this person anymore. It might have been 15 years ago you worked with this person. Mm. And then someone they're talking to is like, man, like I really need to get in shape. It's like the best coach I ever had. Mike Vacanti, and he does online coaching. Got to contact him. It's it's the I think the the key component here is past effort still paying off in dividends, which is SEO, whether it's YouTube, website, whatever, which we'll talk about in part two, uh, and how to do search engine optimization and all of that. But in terms of being a good coach, like it, it referrals, and whether it's right now, people you getting clients right now because of it, people you coached in the past saying, hey, you should go coach, you should work with this person or people you coached in the past coming back to work with you years later, yeah. right? These are all, I, I think, and you know, I love the overrated, underrated stuff. Um, referrals are the most underrated form of, of building your business. Like by, they're better, by a lot, they're, by a lot, like the, they're the, you, you have, I'd say referrals are better than SEO in term, because if someone if someone says, hey, you should work with this person, if, if your best friend, your, your mother, your aunt, your father, your coworker, whatever says, hey, you got to work with this person, you're, you, you are immediately, the, the trust barrier is already crossed. You trust them or almost, you trust them way more than you would if you just randomly found them on a website. You trust them way more if you randomly found them on the explore page and TikTok or Instagram. The, the trust barrier is crossed because you were just referred by a friend or by a family member or a colleague that you already trust. That referrals are, are without question the single best way to build your business. Uh, and this is, this is why 
we say you don't need a ton of followers. Like this, this is why you don't need a, a huge audience in order to have a massively successful business is because of referrals. And uh, yeah, I mean, I still get referrals on, on a weekly basis because of people I've worked with when I was in Boston and people I worked with when I was in Israel, people I worked with when I was in Delaware. It's like referrals. And again, this is from experience, right? This goes back to the experience, which is below this one, which is you can't get that level of referral until you've built up that level of experience, right? Until you've worked in different states or worked with a certain number of people, whatever it is. And the more you do that, the more it will come. Yeah. What, what, what would you, what's like maybe at least one thing you would say is a characteristic of a good coach? Like, what does that mean to be a good coach? Man, we should do that as the episode after this two-part episode. Mm, that would yeah, be there's incredible. a lot to talk about. I, I mean, there's an infinite number of things to talk about. The The two that are top of mind for me, and maybe because they're somewhat natural, they like come easier to me than other things that might, are one, actually caring about the progress of your clients, and mm. two, being on top of communication, um, specifically with online compared to in person, but being on top of email, on top of communication. And, and really what that means is on top of meeting the expectations that you laid out at the beginning of coaching. You know, if you say you're going to get back to your clients next day, get back to them next day, every single time, no exceptions. Don't, don't give an expectation and then not meet that. And then, uh, in your communication, you know, if if the fact that you actually care if you actually care about their progress that is going to show through in how you communicate with that person yeah i love that it, i i it's funny the first thing for me in terms of being a good coach was uh making sure like showing that you care about them outside of their fitness mm -hmm. right which is like it has to be both you have to you have to care about their progress obviously you have to be on top of communication. Um, but for me, it's like, do you know what their kids' names are? Do you know they have kids? Like, do you know like what uh, what role their their daughter played in the musical at middle school? Like, how'd it go? Did you get pictures of it? Like, these are things that um, I think it's funny because you and I have like different brains. Like, we're uh -huh. very we're uh -huh. very different brains. Um, <laughs> Mike is ISTJ. I'm ESTP. Um, I, I'm I'm very focused on on I, a lot of different components. But for me, I've always found that the more I know about them and their family and their personal life, which you know, for whatever it's worth, that presents a whole separate set of issues as a coach, like which we it, talked about in a recent Q and A in the mentorship. Exactly, like it can present a whole. If they start to then say, "Well, I'm," you know, like I've had clients be like, "Listen, I'm really struggling with my partner. Like we're having a really tough time in my marriage." Then, and this is we talk about this in the mentorship a lot, especially like Q and A's when people are struggling with it. There's there's a, a line barriers. that there's barriers here, and that you have to be. This is another part of being a good coach knowing where to call it, knowing where that line is. And that only comes with experience, right? It's like, there were times early in my career where I was like, I, I have, I think what I would call like the, the savior complex where it's like, I want to save everyone. I like, I want to like make sure you're okay. Mm -hmm. So it's like someone, a husband or a wife, whatever it is, is telling me like they're struggling with their partner. It's like, I want to save them. Like, I want to, I want to make sure you're okay. And that's completely inappropriate for a coach. Like you don't fuck with their marriage. Like, and by fuck with, like you don't give advice on that. Like that's not your job. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things I learned from experience is saying, listen, you know, I'm here for you. You know, I'm here like no matter what, it would be inappropriate of me to give you advice on this. And I don't want to step outside of my scope. I strongly encourage you to, to get, see a therapist, maybe a, a, a relationship counseling, Unfortunately, it would be outside of my scope to to keep talking about this just because like that's not what I'm it's not what my expertise is in. And I remember for a long time I didn't want to say stuff like that because I thought they would get really mad. But as soon as I started saying it, they were like, I really appreciate you saying that. Like makes total sense. Like sometimes they would apologize. I didn't mean to burden you with that. Like, listen, you're not burdening me at all. It's just like, you know, we're friends and, and I'm I'm your friend, I'm your coach, but also as your coach, you're paying me. It's like I can't do that. Like I, it's, it's outside of my scope to do that. So, um, 
that's another part of being a good coach is understand like, yes, like learning more about them and what they care about and what they love, but also knowing when to draw the line and say, Hey, this isn't my area of expertise. Uh, you need to seek help elsewhere for this. Yeah. Yep. But that would be, that would make a great podcast. Maybe. So next week we'll do part two on this one mm-hmm. going into more like the, I think yesterday when we were planning this podcast, you called it like the sprinkles on top, like the, the fun stuff, like the, the social media, the SEO, like the, the things a lot of like how, how to get more followers, da, 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 like we'll, we'll sales copy, blah, 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 all that stuff. We'll dive in that next week on that. And then maybe after that, we'll do a whole episode on what it means to be a good coach. I love that. Um, and, and maybe before how to, what it means to be a great coach. We do our fun episode of the the 13 different types of clients that you will run into, which has some oh, pretty yeah. Well, we'll get to all of this. Yeah, yeah. Like we we made a whole big list on like we were trying to come up with every different type of client you'll you'll uh you'll encounter within your coaching experience. We came up with 13 so far. Is that how many? I think that's how many, yeah. Yeah. And who knows, there are probably more. But uh with that said, if you want to join the mentorship, now is literally the best time all year. It's $200 off when you join. You get access to all of our courses, in-depth courses. You get access to our Instagram growth guide. Uh, you get access to our uh, nutrition manual. Like your, what's, the, what's the title of that manual, Mike? The, the Calories and Macros Guidelines for Clients. So how to structure your nutrition for your clients, how to like an Instagram growth guide that I made. Uh, we Our courses are incredible. I think my personal favorite course, I'm interested in what yours is, Mike. My personal favorite course is the client psychology course. Like it goes really deep into understanding client psychology and behavior change, how to speak with your clients, things to actually say to your clients uh, to to motivate them or to get them back on track. Or to if you have a client who ghosted you, how to handle that type of a, of a situation. That's my personal favorite course. I, I also love that course partly because it's one where you just don't get that anywhere else that I've ever seen. Yeah. I really liked, I don't know if it's my favorite, but I really liked the scaling your business course, um, partly because we talk about all of the ways, like the eight to 10 ways that make sense to go from one-on-one coaching to a more scalable style of business. But we also talk about when to make that jump. Uh, the factors that go into whether or not you should make that jump and what to do before making that jump. Yeah. Yeah. And and there are many, many more courses and more to come. We have live Q and A's two times a month. We have challenges every single month to, you know, if you struggle with, you don't, you don't know what to focus on. You don't know what to do. It's like, cool. We tell you like, it's in the same way you give your clients a new program every month. We give you a new program every month. It's a new challenge. This is what you're focusing on. We tell you, you know, you tell them what exercises to do, how many sets and reps. We tell you what platforms to focus on exactly what numbers we want you to hit, how often we want you to do it. Like we give you your program every month. And at the end of every month, we pick one winner that we'll get on the phone with and have a, a consult call with them to help individualize with their business. So, um, if you want to join the mentorship, if you want to build your business, if you want to reach and help more people, $200 off for one week right now. The link is in the show notes. There's literally no better time to do this. And we could say we could say all day that we're going to be launching again and giving $200 off in three months, six months, a year, but don't trust us on that because <laughs> <laughs> historically it hasn't held true. So uh, that's it. Anything else you want to add with that, Mike? No, that's perfect. Amazing. Everyone have a great day. Thank you for listening and we will see you very soon. Bye-bye.